Hi, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show, where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. If you are a survivor, a caregiver, a researcher, a support group leader, or a local business helping the stroke and brain injury community, Stroke Focus is offering a number of exciting programs. Get details at the end of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show. This is Cam, and today I'm here with Maureen Harrington, and she is a writer for People Magazine, and she's working on a book about stroke survivors. Today, we'll learn more about her book and why she chooses to write this book. Hello, Maureen, and welcome to the Hand in Hand Show. Hi, Cam. Thanks for having me. You're writing a book about stroke. How did it come to you doing this? Well, I had left the People magazine, and for a number of reasons. One was I wanted to do longer, more explanatory work than daily or weekly or monthly journalism allows you. So I was looking for a book project. I had a friend named Dr. Martha Molina. And Dr. Martha is part of a wonderful family who is in healthcare. Their are five kids, quote unquote, they're in their 50s now, are doctors. And their father was a doctor who came with his wife from Mexico, went to med school here in Los Angeles, and began to work in an ER. And he felt that um, the, the ER was not doing well by Hispanic people, not out of uh, neglect, but more out of cultural misunderstandings and language. So they began a clinic, and it's now a billion-dollar business, and it takes care of the poor. So I asked Martha, couldn't I write about her family, a book about her family? And she said, absolutely not. That would just be too prideful. No, no, no. So she said to me, but I have an idea for you. And her idea was about stroke. Her mom had a stroke. And, you know, even though this family had all kinds of resources, uh, they knew how to find experts. They knew how to go. Uh, to various people for help. Um, But when they had gotten their mom through hospital and rehab, there was nothing to help them create a life for her. Um, And they did what everybody does. They Googled, they asked friends, they looked everywhere for a book or something to help them. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't anything. So she said, I think you should write a book for the loved ones and patients who have stroke and all kinds of the community around stroke. And in all honesty, Cam, I didn't believe her. I thought, oh, come on, there has to be something. And I looked and she was right. There are a few things. I I don't want to knock what's out there. But, um, you know, There are tremendous things out there, but not very many. I began to interview and research, and I knew almost immediately from my experience at Time Magazine and People Magazine that people learn best by hearing stories. 
of real people. So I designed this book as a series of profiles with the science around it. And, and the reason for that is, if you read a story, let's say I'm writing your story, Cam, all the things that you have been through, all your experiences, your family, your friends, everybody kind of chimes in. I imagine a reader who's going to read your profile who has somebody in their life sort of like you or sort of like your family. And they will learn by reading your story all the things that are possible rather than having some boring doctor or therapist tell you what to do. I think it's much more real when somebody says, well, watch out. Most people with stroke cannot bear loud sounds or lots of flashing lights. Well, you wouldn't know that. Nobody's prepared for stroke. Absolutely. I would do better, as you said, reading about somebody else's stroke and what they did. Yes. I have a friend who I've made through the stroke community, and she always tells me, kindly but frankly, that no one is going to read this book. And I said, oh, why? And she said, you haven't had a stroke. Uh, she said, really, the only people who understand are we who've had a stroke. And I said, I agree with you, but I am a reporter. I am, what I bring to the table is the ability to listen to Cam's story and get it down and draw out of you, say, well, tell me some things that your family went through or tell me what made the biggest difference for, for you. You know, you have to have had some experience in doing this. So, yes, I have not had a stroke. There is stroke in my family, but I have never had to care give. So I admit that, no, I am not, you know, right there on the front lines. But I do think uh, other people's stories are really valuable, as is the science. Absolutely. My next question to you then is, personally, what discoveries did you make in your reporting that this community maybe that, that stroke survivors and families need to be made aware of? This book is based on one thing, really, which is what is absolutely essential for stroke recovery. Now, it's nice to have a good hospital. It's nice to have um, money. It's nice. It's it's nice to have uh, be young, but none of those things are essential. There are two things that are essential to recover from stroke. Number one is resilience, which is the ability, which is in all humans, to recover from or bounce back from crisis. Uh, and there is a whole science behind resilience, which sounds in the name and, and because we don't know much about it, but we all think we know what it is, uh, kind of gauzy and woo-woo. It's not at all. It's, it's very, been very well studied since uh, the mid-90s. Um, and if you can or have resilience, that means you have the will to try and get better. So you get to the point where you're like, okay, let's, let's do something about this. Let's not lay in the be bed and suck our thumbs. That brings you to something called neuroplasticity. 
which also is in every human, more or less. And neuroplasticity really simply means that the brain can change. And why that's so important for people who've had stroke or their caregivers is that say, for instance, you've lost the ability to speak, you have aphasia. If you work on that, if you continue through repetition and effort, you may be able to get some, if not all, of your ability to speak again. This is also true of many other parts of the human that are wounded by a stroke. Say, for instance, you can uh, work really hard in rehab. Whether you have a therapist or you bought a book or you're just going by the seat of your pants, activity, which is repetitious, actually changes the neural pathways in the brain. So that let's say um, you have lost part of the use of your right hand. So one of the things that you're going to do, of course, is exercise so that you can strengthen your left because that's what you'll be using, right? But don't forget that which appears to be useless to you. Um, you need to do the exercises that will enable you to get some, if not all, of your arm function back. So you have these two things, and they're strange until you think about them and observe them. This actually goes back to why I'm so fascinated with these stories. Since I was a little girl, and then certainly when I was a reporter, I always wondered, what is it that makes one person able to survive the most awful, terrible things, illness, crisis, poverty, you name it? Why does that person, A, person A, do okay and comes out on the other side of this as a functioning human? And then why are some people just unable to do it? I'm most interested in the positive side of this. Mm -hmm. What makes us able to not only survive, but thrive? And for the first time in my life, this is like 20 years, I now understand what it is about humans that enables them to keep on going. I do find this with positive energy, gratitude, and want to get better. And you also have to have a purpose. The very first book and the very first psychiatrist that I talked to about this did a 20-year study on American prisoners of war in Vietnam, including Mr. McCain. And they talked and talked and talked to these men and observed them for 20 years. And they came up with the same principles that you do. Purpose above all. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have anything to live for, why would you bother? Gratitude is very important. Attitude is important. Humor, they found. And then what surprised the doctors, but doesn't surprise me particularly, is the importance of people around you. 
community, however you define that community. Maybe it's one best friend. Maybe it's a big family. Maybe it's your church. Whatever it is, you do need some people around you. And the other idea that's very important for people to know is that resilience comes and goes. And I'm sure you had this experience of you just can't get over it one day. And so you struggle and then you are better the next day in terms of attitude and willingness to do the work. So resilience isn't all rainbows and puppies, that's for sure. Another woman told me that if she is very conscious of doing something for another, that brings her out of her black place. Um, As soon as she, you know, has concern for somebody else, it can lift her spirit. Lots of ways to increase, strengthen, find, develop resilience. And I think there are many people who would listen to this and say, well, I don't have that. I don't have any of that that the lady Cam is saying. Well, okay, maybe you don't feel it, but why don't you think about it and really ask yourself some questions. Why am I living? Do I have a purpose? Is it my kids? Is it my job? Is it my spirituality? Um, And okay, and then maybe you say, I'm going to do what my mom used to tell me, which is what doctors now tell people with stroke. Get out and get some fresh air and exercise if you can, but move somehow, even if it's in a wheelchair or if you're in a bed. As a friend of mine says, squeeze that bottom. Squeeze. Yes. That's moving. We've recently talked to some people, and the word exercise to a stroke survivor is like a bad thing. Oh, we, tell me about that. If people were active before their stroke, if they were hikers and bikers and went to the gym seven days a week, whatever, hearing the word exercise apparently is a really bad thing. And and I believe oh, okay. I used to exercise yeah. two to three times a week. I can't do that now. So what we say are some other words that you use are active or just keep moving, which you use both of those. And Oh, um, that's such a good tip for me. Because I can't do, and I can't do it to the level. One woman said, don't tell me to exercise. Tell me to go shopping at the mall. And I'll walk, but I can't go and do four-mile trek. I used yeah. to do some of these things. It took me a long time to learn after my stroke. And I think your book is going to be great for this because it will be telling people things that maybe they wouldn't have normally found out until two or three years down the road because they don't always go to those stroke support meetings or they don't always go to Facebook support group pages or whatever it is. And they can read at their own leisure about these things and about the different people and feel a connection. Well, and I've been advised by other stroke survivors. Don't make your sentences, your paragraphs long, Mm -hmm. you know, make them simple and clear because we only have so much attention span or ability to just be really 
direct what is said by these, because I'm not saying it, the profiles are saying it. I'm reporting the science, but Mm -hmm. that's all from the experts. I am not an expert. I am a reporter. What is the title of your book? I don't have a title. All the clever titles have been taken. My Stroke of, of Insight. I just talked to a great professor at Stanford who had a stroke and is writing a book. Is that Deborah? Yes, it's exactly who I'm talking about. She has a wonderful title for her book, which is about identity, how people with stroke lose their identity. And she's calling that identity theft. Yeah. I just haven't come up with anything clever yet except stroke recovery. So anybody listening to this, please just write and say what you think. One of the other principles upon which this book is based, and it's something I learned doing this, is if I get nothing else done, is to repeat and repeat the fact that you can improve through your whole life into old age with neuroplasticity. Mm-hmm. Too many doctors, and one doctor estimated that 50% of his profession believes that you cannot progress past about six months or a year. Absolutely wrong. Keep at it. I cannot tell you how many people I've met who are older, who had their strokes 20 years ago, who were told, oh, you're not going to get any better than you are now. And never worked at it, never went on with therapy or anything else. So as one doctor said to me, why isn't that malpractice? Mm -hmm. Think about it. You know, absolutely, it's been proven that we can keep on improving. Now, that is always said with the caveat that Mm -hmm. you can improve as much as you are able. It's going to be different for every person. Right. For me, I started out not walking and then I was in a walker and then I lost the walker. So I tell my ther- told my therapists and, and I kept going. And one day I was walking uh, in a park and realized I'd walked over a mile. That was like three years down the road. I got an adult tricycle last year at Christmas and I started riding it. And the funny thing is, I couldn't control it. Somebody had to walk next to me because I was ending up in people's yards and not being able to get out. Well, I can ride the thing now. I can go to the park. I can take it. And I'm five and a half years down the road. I tell people all the time, as I said, keep moving, keep trying new things because it's not impossible if you keep working at it. It may take some people a year, it might take them five, but keep working at it. Yes. And I think one of the great heartbreaks of stroke among many is when you say to somebody, okay, let's have you work every day revving up your resilience, thinking about your positive attitude and your purpose and creating small goals all the things that you need to do, keep that going. And then keep at whatever it is you do that is repetitious movement so you can engage neuroplasticity. But 
I have sat in so many support groups where, you know, at a ho- at hospitals where people who have just newly had a stroke join. And the first thing they say is, oh, okay, I can get better when. Right. Not only can doctors and therapists not tell you when, they can't tell you how much. Now that is really hard to take, but you must and right. if you're going to recover. And that's part of another point I make that I don't think has written, has been enough talked about. And that's acceptance. And mm-hmm. I am surprised, and I think people who've had some strokes may not be surprised, but they'll know that they're not the only one. Acceptance can take years and years and years. I mean, true right. acceptance. Right. So, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking to be told this, but there you go. Yeah. Hey, when... Do you think we might be able to see the book? I'm hoping within a year. I think that at least some people are going to be ready to, as they read a profile, also have the addition of the science that underlies these successes. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to figure out how to do that. If you have absolutely no interest or no ability to understand neuroplasticity, then we don't want you to stop reading. You know, it's not necessary. So we're just, so it's a lot of figuring things out. Well, I hope you'll come back and talk with us when the book comes out. I would love to. Maureen, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I want you to come back, especially when the book comes out. So I want to thank everyone for listening today to the Hand in Hand show. Join us again for another show. I do have to say Maureen Harrington here is our 50th podcast, and we're so excited. But join us again, and I'll see you next time on the Hand in Hand show. Thank you. This is an announcement of Stroke Focus. Stroke Focus has opened up its blog section to all its members. It is a professional platform completely free and very easy to use. It provides instant visibility to know how many views your blog is receiving. At the same time, we are helping members put stories on our podcast. You can get a professional quality radio broadcast to share on Facebook, Twitter, or post on your site. For all our members with aphasia, our audio editors will help make your interview smooth. Do not need any professional equipment. No interview will be published before you review and approve it. There is no charge. Join us at https colon backslash backslash www.strokefocus.com net or write to us at contact at strokefocus.net. Join the growing list of people sharing stories. What you share will make a difference.